Hey there everyone, um, this is going to be my third installment in my whatever, however often I upload these podcasts. I actually don't do it on any specific day or time. Uh, today, I am doing another pre-set one based on my history of research before I start actually doing any more new research, learning new things. I'm just covering another topic and today it's going to be pornography. Yeah, quitting porn addiction, what porn addiction is like, how it starts, what are the societal pressures that push so many men to doing it, beyond the biological factors, how to get out of it, and what the repercussions of it are. Now, I can say uh, lots of men have this issue. I had this issue myself. I was part of the late millennial generation who developed in their teenage years at the boom of the internet and subsequently discovered the entire community of internet porn when he was just a 13-year-old boy. I was just a little boy. My teenage years were taken from me. I was a little boy. Damn capitalism, cuck capitalism. Um, I'm going to be releasing some merchandise here soon, some t-shirts and hoodies and whatnot. <sighs> so... Stay tuned for that, for those of you who are interested. Let's uh, let's talk about what pornography really is. I mean, it's the imagery of very sexually explicit acts. Specifically sexually explicit, right? Um, now, it's kind of what dictates what pornography is, is actually varied from culture to culture. We find that in cultures where women have to cover up, then there is a much lower threshold for something to be considered pornography. Like if a woman were to be wearing short shorts and a crop top in a country where they cannot show their ankles, that would be considered pornography. However, out here in America, where seeing women in bikinis on TV all the time is the norm, you need nudity. You need body parts. You need boobs. Butts. And in some places where even the, you know, boudoir scene is more accepted and you can see breasts and nudity, that's not considered pornography, that's considered art, that's where you need there to be holes. And even then, <laughs> even then, some people would consider sexually explicit acts, but you see how it's entirely subjective. I, I think it's really interesting if we notice the differences in the definition of pornography based on the societal norms and it kind of mirrors how the repeated use of it numbs out the brain the reward system and raises the threshold for excitement so in a country where you don't see women as often it takes much less to get it to get you know excited, I would say. It takes much less to be considered explicit and pornographic, but in countries where you see women's bodies more often, more skin more often, you need to see more in order for it to be considered inappropriate or ex explicit or mature content. Well, what I'm trying to say with this point right here, in this like one minute long part of the video, or not video, discussion, is that for people that use pornography regularly, we also see a similar trend where the more they use it, the more they see it, the more intense stuff they need to watch to get off. 
And that's one of the detrimental backlashes of uh, pornography, the entire industry. I can talk about at length for so many, um, but the what it does to specifically the male brain, just because pornography is almost entirely catered to the male fantasy, it desensitizes the male brain. <clears throat> it also, because of you know how prevalent it is, because of a number of factors, uh, it also uh, warps male thinking around the dynamics of what sex is. Like in America, it, one of those pressures that influence that makes one of the pressures in America that makes men revert or uh, resort to pornography for sexual education is America's poor sex ed programs. America does have some of the worst sexual education in the developed world. It's because of evangelicalism trying to say that sex is bad and kids shouldn't know about it. They use faulty arguments saying that if kids learn about sex, then they're going to have sex, and if they have sex, they're going to sin and get pregnant and die of AIDS. Obviously, that's not real, um, and kids are going to have sex anyway. They need the proper sexual education, but whenever you take sex education away, you get porn addiction. You get regular porn use, you raise the demand for pornography, and subsequently you increase the amount of victims there are to the industry. Not only men who get ab addicted, but women who get abducted, right? Women who get trafficked. That's rampant on those sites. So... Yeah, repeated use will desensitize the uh, male brain. Again, the male brain because it's catered to the male fantasy. More men get addicted to porn than women. Um, and it will make them search out more and more aggressive or intense stuff to get the same release. It's funny how pornography almost directly plays into misogyny. Because we, uh, there's this study that I read on NCBI, I can pull it up and tell you the name of the study here in a second, that showed how men are becoming increasingly more aggressive towards women or more misogynistic towards women because of repeated use of pornography. It showed in this study that men who use it more and more often have a higher proclivity for violence towards women and aggression towards women just in general, um, and a lower threshold for acceptance of consent, because the more that they use it, the more that they go into the aggressive sides of those sites and they normalize those things. This is scientific. This is this is me reciting an, uh, a scientific article, a, a peer-reviewed scientific article, I might might add. Right? I only go to reputable sources and report on reputable sources when I can. It reinforces that norm of violence and aggression towards women. Uh, and then you see it plays into the entire misogynistic wave that we see overrunning America. Here, one second, I'm going to go pull it up. Okay, here we go. Here's a really good one. It's called Online Porn Addiction, What We Know and What We Don't, A Systematic Review. Uh, and it's on the National Library of Medicine. It's on NCBI, National Institute of Health, everything for the Center of Biotechnology Information. Um, on this, in this paper, it will, if you want to read this paper, it lists it out quite clearly. It also shows how 
uh, pornography use just increases sexual dissatisfaction. It cre it manifests uh, what's called psychosexual dissatisfaction. I've got it right here. Uh, the definition of psychosexual dissatisfaction is that pornography use has been associated with sexual dissatisfaction and sexual dysfunction, both for males and females, being more critical of one's body or their partners, increased performance pressure, and less actual sex, having more sexual partners, and engaging in paid sexual behavior. Now, the having more sexual partners part, I think, is still problematic, but engaging in paid sex behavior, I wouldn't want to demonize, because... Personally, I think that sex work is a very important part of uh, human society. It's one of the oldest professions, and it's not going anywhere, just like abortion. But having less actual sex, yeah, that is bad, you know. I mean, maybe you can masturbate to compensate, but if you're, ma if you're masturbating with pornography, you're still doing damage to your brain, and your thought process, and your uh, standards. Using it without any visual stimulation and letting your imagination take hold, that's where I think you're better off. Because, one, you are only pulling from your own personal interests. So you're honestly giving yourself exactly what you want. The part of the drawback of pornography is, you know, the more you use it, the more you scroll, and the more you scroll, the longer your dopamine levels are going to be super high, the more you're going to be flooded in dopamine, the less organized you're going to be, because the more you're flooded in dopamine, the less you really care about being crisp and salient. But if you do it at least without it, then you're pulling from your own imagination, you're pulling from the very thoughts that are tied in with your sexual neural networks, you are literally presenting yourself with your pinnacle interests. That's like why pornless is way better than porn, personally, I would say. Like, imagination is the way to go, 100%. You're going to give yourself exactly what you want if you have a vivid enough imagination. Um, but having more sexual partners, yeah. I do think of that of those last three, that one actually is kind of dangerous. It's not really fulfilling to have a lot of sexual partners, and people who do that, men and women who do that, might say that they're just trying to live their life, go through their hose phase, try find themselves, but there's some kind of, there's an emptiness that comes from that. You know, sex is, sex is more than just fun, and uh, people don't like that I say that. Because people want to think that you can just have sex with whoever you want, whenever you want, it's your life. But there really are consequences to doing that. To giving yourself to so many people. As a man or as a woman. It, it um, <clears throat> confuses you. And it always will convince you that you can have better if you ever settle down. You'll never train yourself to actually dedicating yourself to a partner and working as a team. Part of... And, and pornography takes away from this as well. Pornography kind of has the same effect as having more sexual partners. And it actually is worse. Because at least when you have more sexual partners, you're still engaging in physical intimacy with somebody. You're not doing it just by yourself. So you're at least, you're at least training yourself to engage with somebody personally instead of training yourself to get off to watching other people train, uh, engage each other. But whenever you go and you spread your body around to many different people it god nobody wants to hear this anymore people don't want to hear this anymore but it really does take a toll on your mental health it takes away from your self-esteem 
makes you look lower on yourself because you think that you're only capable of passively indulging in pleasure with somebody else and not actually getting to know them on a deeper level. You know the joke about the guy that has to ghost somebody every three months, or the girl that has to ghost somebody every three months because they have commitment issues? Yeah. <sighs> Training yourself to stay focused on one person is really worth it. Even if you think that you can't, if, if that person's a good partner and they do what they need to do to be a good to do to uphold a healthy dynamic in a relationship it is worth sacrificing pointless sexual endeavors with other people so that you can build on a relationship with them if you do have a history of going around to a lot of people you might consider you might think oh i can have it better i can have somebody else oh i can go and do whatever i want with whomever whomever i want but i would highly suggest you stay in a relationship with somebody trustworthy like that for as long as possible. Try to hash out all of your own neuroses and your own <sighs> senses of favoritism, I guess you could say for yourself. Hash out your <clears throat> own toxicity, right? Because part of being in a committed relationship like that is it allows you to go into your depths and see all of yourself from the surface level all the way down to the core and by doing that you're going to go through all of your problems your unresolved traumas your toxicity with this other person the way that that happens is the other person acts like a control group you know how in science we have control groups we have somebody that are there to keep for um scaling a measurement right a control group is somebody like is a group of people that are in this or a group of anything that are in this study specifically unchanged so that we can measure the differences in the other groups that we do experiment on? Well, think of your partner, if they're trustworthy, as a control. They are like an anchor, and they can help bring you back to reality as you dive into yourself. In a relationship, when there is somebody trustworthy for you to focus on, somebody that you can trust in, somebody who's honest with you, somebody who gives you an honest reflection into your soul, you will dive through your soul and your toxicity and your unresolved trauma, it will overtake you. It will flood your perception. And that's going to flood your nature of perception for everything around you so that you automatically would misinterpret things alongside your own internal biases, right? Part of a good partner is to help you sort that out. It's to help you recognize what of these internal forms of toxicity and unresolved traumas build objective perspectives on the world and on yourself, and which of them actually distort your perception of the world and yourself. If you're by yourself, you can't see if your perception is distorted because it is your perception. It is what you see with. You can't see your perception unless if you I guess, train and meditate. The partner is there to help you gauge your nature of perception and align it so that it's not crooked. And if you are constantly jumping from partner to partner to partner, what's happening is probably one, all of these partners are just as untrustworthy as, uh, are just untrustworthy and toxic. They don't allow you 
there there's probably some lies or some two-faced activity going on there that doesn't allow you to actually get an objective reflection into your soul one and two you are constantly letting the internally held favoritism the toxic beliefs and the unresolved trauma distort your perception of what's going on in the relationship and then that toxicity takes over the dynamic between the two of you you guys split off and you have to ghost them after three months which is kind of a quick overview of the psychology behind that i would love to go deeper into it but it would get me off track of this pornography does the exact same thing except worse because pornography is it's it's, it's practically free you know it's the price of a phone bill <clears throat> and the reason it's free is because you use the phone bill for the other things that you need in your life. The cell phone. You use it, you, you pay the phone bill because you need to talk to people. Pornography just ends up being a part of that phone bill. It ends up being a part of uh, a plus. But it's free and easily accessible, and it actually make, it actually adds so much more toxicity and so much more trauma and raises your threshold for satisfaction to aggressive ends eventually aggressive means eventually and it gives you no control to calibrate your nature of perception and look into your soul with it doesn't like even at least with those passive partners that you get every three months you have you at least have some feedback from them you can at least listen to them they might not be as reliable as a long-term trustworthy partner but there's still something with pornography, it's nothing. You get nothing. You you have you have random people on a screen that don't even know who you are doing a perform a sexual performance for you to get off to, and then it's over. And they don't communicate with you or acknowledge you whatsoever. It's practically the cuckold version of paying for sex, <laughs> simply because when you pay for sex, you, you you don't pay to talk to the person. You pay to use the person's body. And that's a purely transactional experience. Yeah. <clears throat> but what exactly is it? I, I said earlier that America's poor sex education is largely responsible for porn addiction. Uh, porn use in young men. Because they resort to that since there is no exposure to actual sex behavior or sexual education. I was lucky, even though I live in Oklahoma, uh, grew, uh, rather grew up in Oklahoma, um, where sex education is like the worst. We're 45th in the country for education in general, and we live in the belt buckle of the Bible Belt. I happened to go to the best public school in the entire state that had a well-funded sex, edu sex education program because they have a lot of donors from very wealthy families that went there. And it just so happens to be in a very left-leaning part of the state in Tulsa, Jinx area. Fortunately, I was there in the little pocket of time whenever they still had the sex education, so I was able to learn about it, even though I was still, you know, I was 17, and it was before college whenever I kicked the habit, after 13 years old, whenever I started it, after really 14. But I just so happened to be there at high school, in the pocket of time in Oklahoma whenever it was like okay for there to be official sex education and I think I should post one about sex education here soon because man people need it people need it of course there are lots of podcasts out there 
But let me go back to that scientific article that I said earlier. Um, <clears throat> this is really interesting. It talks about how porn changes the brain and how that change in the brain mimics the changes of drug addicts. So I'm going to start reading now. Uh, the addictive process with online pornography may be amplified by the accelerated novelty and the supranormal stimulus that constitutes internet pornography. This phenomenon would supposedly make artificial stimuli, in this case pornography in the way it is mostly consumed today in its online form, override an evolutionary an evolutionarily developed genetic response. The theory is that they potentially activate our neural reward system at higher levels than what ancestors typically encountered as our brains evolved, making it liable to switch into an addictive mode. If we consider online porn from this perspective, we can start seeing similarities to regular substance addicts. Major brain changes observed across substance addicts lay the groundwork for the future research of addictive behaviors, including sensitization, desensitization, dysfunctional prefrontal uh, circuits, hypofrontality, and a malfunctioning stress system. These brain changes observed in addicts have been linked with patients with hypersexual behavior or pornography users through approximately 40 studies of different types. Magnetic resonance imaging, electroencephalography, neuroendocrine, and neuropsychological. So basically, since the acts that we see in porn videos are so much more intense than anything our ancestors ever experienced, and because of the fact that sex is directly and heavily tied in with the reward circuits of the brain that are directly associated with addiction, these intense, over-hyper-stimulating images and videos that activate the sexual system that's intimately connected with the reward system quickly become an addiction, and that addiction follows hypersensitization or sensitization at the beginning, and then desensitization, and then the dysfunctional prefrontal circuits, uh, hypofrontality, hypo meaning lower instead of hyper, hyper means higher, hypo means lower, frontality, frontal lobe activity, or prefrontal circuits, which is where you find, in the prefrontal cortex is where you find, by the way, a lot of the modes for what makes us human. Your personality, your sense of empathy, your sense of planning, your ability to learn from your mistakes, your ability to comprehend consequences, the concept of consequences, Pornography takes away all of these abilities, and then you get a malfunctioning stress system, probably because of the dysfunctional prefrontal circuits to some degree. The prefrontal circuits are responsible for your engagement in the world, and whenever you fail in engaging with the world properly, you get stressed. If you continuously fail with engaging the world properly, you probably have a malfunctioning stress system because you end up getting so stressed so often. I'm going to continue reading this because the next few paragraphs actually directly explain what the sensitization, desensitization, the prefrontal circuitry lowering, and then the uh, malfunctioning stress system look like. So, <sighs> evidence of this neural activity signalizing desire is particularly prominent in the prefrontal cortex and the amygdala, being evidence of sensitization. This is where we're talking about sensitization. Activation in these brain regions, the amygdala and the prefrontal cortex, is reminiscent of financial reward, financial reward, and it may carry a similar impact. Moreover, there are higher EEG readings in these users, as well as the diminished desire for sex with a partner, but not for masturbation to pornography. Something that reflects also on the difference in erection quality. So pretty much, the more you watch porn, the more you train your sexual system 
to fire off for pornography and not even real people. You become more sensitive to, to pornography. Um, this can be considered a sign of desensitization. Yeah, desensitization to real people. Um, however, Steele's study contains several methodological flaws to consider. Subject heterogeneity subject heterogeneity, a lack of screening for mental disorders or addictions, the absence of control group, and the use of questionnaires not validated for porn use. A study by Praz, on the other hand, this time with a control group, replicated these very findings. The role of cue reactivity and craving in the development of cybersex addiction have been corroborated in heterosexual female and homosexual male samples. So that second study that wasn't as flawed as the first one used heterosexual female and homosexual male samples as a control, and they still tested it to see if pornography uniquely affects heterosexual men, and it doesn't. It affects the human brain just in general the same way. So at the beginning, you become sensitized, sensitized, more sensitive to the cybersexual cues. However, it becomes desensitized. You become desensitized here soon. Listen further. This attention bias to sexual cues is predominant in early hypersexual individuals, but a repeated exposure to them shows in turn desensitization. So you get desensitized after you keep going back to it. This means a down regulation of reward systems, possibly mediated by the greater dorsal cingulate. Uh, that's a brain region, as you might have guessed. Uh, since the dorsal cingulate is involved in anticipating rewards and responding to new events, a decrease in its activity after repeated exposure points us to the development of habituation to previous stimuli. As you get desensitized to it, as the dorsal cingulate starts to react less and less to it, you start to make this more and more of a habit. This results in a dysfunctional, enhanced preference for sexual novelty, which may manifest as attempts to overcome said habituation and desensitization through the search for more new pornography as a means of sexual satisfaction, choosing this behavior instead of actual sex. This is where the hook comes in, as the dorsal cingulate starts to react less and less to it, as the reward system is less and less reactive to the internet pornography. As you get desensitized to it after that period of heightened sensitization, then you have to go for more intense visual cues, and you become less and less interested in actual human being partners, possibly because of how much easier the internet use is. So, let's continue. These attempts at novelty seeking may be mediated through ventral striatal reactivity and the amygdala. It is known that the viewing of pornography in frequent users has also been associated with greater neural activity, especially in the ventral striatum, which plays a major role in anticipating rewards. The ventral striatum is part of the reward system with the ventral tegmental area and the nucleus accumbens, <coughs> the prefrontal cortex, and the uh, hippocampus. So ventral striatal reactivity in the amygdala um, mediate the attempts at novel seeking, possibly so that you are driven to get more intense payoffs, right? All right. However, connectivity between ventral striatum and prefrontal cortex is decreased. A decrease in, in connectivity between prefrontal cortex and the amygdala has also been observed. 
in a, okay so first off the ventral striatum the prefrontal cortex aren't as connected and the prefrontal cortex and the amygdala are also not as connected the ventral striatum is responsible for the anticipation of reward the amygdala is responsible for a lot of emotional responses including fear and the prefrontal cortex is responsible for planning personality empathy consequence conception things along those lines so the ability to concept to comprehend consequences anticipate rewards and have emotions all become disconnected from one another that doesn't sound very good usually you want emotions and the anticipation of rewards and planning to all kind of play into one another because it's allows it's what allows you to have a pretty quick and sharp engagement with the world Continuing on with that paragraph, in addition, hypersexual subjects have shown reduced functional connectivity between caudate and temporal cortex lobes, as well as gray matter deficit in these areas. All of these alterations could explain the inability to control sexual behavior impulses. Continuing on, moreover, hypersexual subjects showed an increased volume of the amygdala, in contrast to those with a chronic exposure to a substance which show a decreased amygdala volume. Now that is counterintuitive to the nature of addiction. This difference could be explained by the possible neurotoxic effect of the substance. In hypersexual subjects, increased activity and volume may reflect overlapping with addiction processes, particularly supporting incentive motivation theories, or maybe the consequence to chronic social stress mechanisms such as the behavioral addiction itself. So normally, whenever people get addicted to a substance, the amygdala shrinks in size, possibly because the substance is toxic to the brain. But whenever it's in the case of hypersexual behaviors, the increased activity and volume might be because of um, the incentive motivation. You have more of an incentive to do it, therefore... Your, um, the emotional part of your brain has more of an emotional response to it, or it could be a consequence of the stress that comes from it, um, because the behavioral addiction itself would be shameful, and the chronic social stress can, of, of such a shameful activity can, incre can potentially increase the size of the amygdala and make somebody more emotional, more stressed, right? All right. So here we go to the final part, the dysfunctional stress response. We just, we with that last little bit, we just covered the dysfunctional prefrontal circuits, the third part of it. So the fourth part of it, the final part of it before the next section, which I won't be reading about, maybe, I, I unless I find it interesting. Um, these users have also shown a dysfunctional stress response, mainly mediated through the hypothalamus-pituitary-adrenal axis in a way that mirror those alterations seen in substance addicts. Now, what is the hypothalamic-pituitary-adrenal axis? Well, I've got it right here. I'm going to just read it to you. A major component of the homeostatic response is the hypothalamic-pituitary-adrenal axis, HPA axis, an intricate yet robust neuroendocrine mechanism that mediates the effects of stressors by regulating numerous physiological responses, such as metabolism, immune responses, and the autonomic uh, nervous system. So... 
the things regulated by the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis could be at stake here from pornography addiction and abuse. Um, physiological process, like metabolism, immune system responses, and then your autonomic nervous system, activity of the autonomic nervous system, rather. And it affects those in the same way that it affects just drug addicts. Now, these alterations may be the result of epigenetic changes on classic inflammatory mediators driving addictions like corticotropin releasing factor. This epigenetic regulation hypothesis considers both hedonic and anhedonic behavioral outcomes are at least partially affected by dopaminergic genes and possibly other uh, candidate neurotransmitter-related gene polymorphisms. There is also evidence of higher tumor necrosis factor in sex addicts with a strong correlation between tumor necrosis factor levels and high scores in hypersexuality rating scales. Now, what does all that mean? Basically, that's saying that you could be genetically predisposed to porn addiction and indulgence. So to some degree, it's not entirely your fault. You were predisposed with the genetics you inherited hereditarily. It goes on to say, I'm going to abridge the next couple of paragraphs. It goes on to say that the um, extreme sexual behavior ha has indirect or direct consequences in executive function, um, possibly as a consequence of the prefrontal cortex alterations, right? Some of these poor executive functionings include being more impulsive, uh, cognitive rigidity that impedes the learning process, so literally developing a learning disability, uh, the inability to shift attention, attention, poor judgment and decision-making abilities, interference of working memory capacity, and uh, deficits in emotion regulation, and then also an, exec an uh, excessive preoccupation with sex. So basically, all of the things that happen whenever your prefrontal cortex is compromised happen when you get addicted to pornography. You become more impulsive. You're less able to learn, less able to shift your attention. You've got poor judgment and decision-making skills. You're not as capable of memorizing stuff. You're not able to regulate your emotions. And you are hyperfixated on sex. Um, <clears throat> other things affect you in that same way, like gambling. So probably want to stay away from gambling as well. Um, I guess coming back to a more, uh, what's the word? I want to say colloquial, but that's not a common topic, common discussion, uh, relaxed discussion, normal, like not being so professional anymore. Another thing that porn do, does, it, it, I mean, I actually touched on this, but I want to come back to it. Um, now, it trains you to watch other people. It trains you to be a voyeur, to be a cuckold. And I just... Most people don't want that for themselves. Most people don't. Some people do. Some people are into that. And if they're into that, you know, it's, it's consensual. It's your life. You do what you want to do. But most people don't want to be into that. And it causes sexual dysfunction, erectile dysfunction. So when you're by yourself, or whenever you're with somebody, I mean, not when you're by yourself, but when you're with somebody, it starts to get hot and heavy and starts to carry away. That's where it 
you know, gets away from you and you're not able to actually perform and you would rather actually watch other people do it, even if cognitively you don't really want to believe that you watch other people do it, it still happens. Now I've had, now getting out of it, the best, how to get out of it, one, um, God, it's so, it can be so difficult, it's all about self-control and consistency. When you're quitting, you are resensitizing your brain and you're recalibrating all of those brain regions, um, possibly shrinking the amygdala, helping to increase neural circuitry in the prefrontal cortex, and eventually that dorsal cingulate starts to uh, react less and less to sexually explicit imagery. You also will find that your genuine intrigue and noticing of real-life women, if you're a man, or just real-life people of this of the gender you're sexually attracted to, they, they, they've got substance to them again. When you train yourself to look at images for sexual release, then when you see normal people, you don't see anything worth being excited about. You don't see anything worth enjoying sexually, of course. But as you quit it, as you quit the habit of pornography use, other people, people that you're sexually attracted to, they'll, you'll suddenly notice that they have form. You'll suddenly notice their cheekbones and their nose and their chin and their lips and their eye color. You'll like that their facial features will pop out at you and you'll actually notice them. It won't seem flat and hollow because pornography makes it seem flat and hollow like that. That's what it looks like. That's what other people look like. Touching somebody in a sexual way, it will actually elicit excitement because you'll really feel their curves. You'll really feel their body. You'll feel the warmth. You'll feel the shape, shapeliness of it and whatnot. Um, so whenever you get away from it, I've, I've, I've talked in one of my most recent videos, a good way to stop doing it is to not allow yourself to be triggered, essentially, to try and watch your source thoughts that reinforce the idea of it, um, to try and avoid sexually explicit imagery as much as you can because that's going to trigger a sexual response and probably force you to relapse. Now let's say you're kicking the habit and you're two weeks clean and then you relapse one day. Does that mean that you should give up? No, not at all. Because the brain, the brain's a neurochemical machine. Uh, its activity is based on the activity that's been happening in it for the general past, not just immediately. So if you're two weeks clean, then you've got two weeks of cleaning up in your brain taken care of. If you relapse one time, that doesn't negate the two weeks. That just adds a little mess of like a day. One fifteenth, you could say, of a mess is in there. And it's going to be, it can be easily overwritten. That one fifteenth of a mess can be easily overwritten in like a day or two. So long as you just don't indulge. It's easy to not indulge whenever you actually care about what's best for you. When you actually care about not doing it. If you go back one day, then give it a day or two and you will have cleaned up that one time. Um, that doesn't mean that 
for every day you have to be one that for every day you've used it you have to be one day clean in order to balance it out because eventually because the brain cleans up i guess you could say it it's not like a sweeping it up but it, it like reverses the psychology of this to the more natural baseline much and much faster and it can take out like years of the abuse of this uh, the effects of this in the way that it's rewritten your thinking in the matter of months because of how it accelerates over time like yeah you do it one day then for the next day you're going to need it if you do it for two weeks then maybe for like the next three or four days you're going to need it but after four days it, it stacks after like a day or two it stacks and like one day it will probably do like one day's worth of cleaning after about two days you could see it overwriting like five days worth of use after three days clean i would say that it is probably closer to about 10 and then 14 or 15 after the fourth day something like that so like two weeks worth of use after a mere four days two weeks of use cleaned up after four days of abstinence right it isn't as hard as it may seem based on the timeline of you know the length of the problem okay sorry i uh I had just gotten a call from my boss. I had to step away for a couple of hours, and I put this on pause. So I lost my place. I think I covered everything, though. I think I remember that I covered everything. And that's going to be my uh, whole spiel today on porn addiction. I hope that helped anybody. Hope you liked it. Um, and uh, stick around. Keep on coming back. Appreciate you.